Welcome to the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. And uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. It is a Raptors podcast. It is normally a lot of Raptors chat, but this week is a special week in basketball history in the country. It's a special week, not only for the Raptors, but also for the entire West Coast of the country. Uh, it is the anniversary, the 25th anniversary of the two teams joining the NBA, the Toronto Raptors, of course. But more importantly, right now at least, the Vancouver Grizzlies also joined the NBA at that time. And uh, pleased to be joined by award-winning filmmaker and director of the cult classic, Finding Big Country, Cat Jamie. Cat, welcome to the show. I greatly appreciate you giving us the time. No, thank you so much for having me. It, it's, uh, I'm excited to, to chat about uh, the Grizzlies and the Raptors today. Yeah, it, 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 uh, let's, uh, let's start with, uh, with, with the Grizzlies, or, or rather, one of your other loves, filmmaking, so to speak. Uh, that is one of your passions, obviously, uh, something that you've pursued, and we, we saw that a little bit in the Finding Big Country documentary, or, which we'll talk about in a second. But uh, the world's changed just a slight little bit from, uh, I guess, this time last year. And I know my life has changed now doing a lot of things virtually. But for you in the filmmaking world, how much has that changed the way that you're approaching things? Oh, man, it's changed it completely. Um, Especially with documentary, there's a lot of factors that you need to think about in terms of safety for your crew and your subjects. Because, you know, a lot of times with documentary, you're traveling to different places and you're often, you know, being invited into someone's home or life. Like, for example, Finding Big Country. You know, we spent a few days on Big Country's, Big Country's ranch and, you know, met with so many of his friends and teammates. So, you know, if, um, if this had happened, you know, back then, I don't know, we probably would have had to, you know, rethink the whole, um, the whole game plan or even just, you know, postpone things until things got better. And that's what's happening right now with a lot of, uh, my projects right now. We're just waiting until things get a lot safer. Um, a lot of my shoots have uh, are in the, taking place in the states, and of course, you know the numbers um, are quite high. So, just to play it on the safe side, my team and I have decided just to to postpone until things get a little bit better. Is is there ways that you can do things virtually that you, you probably didn't think of in the past that, that that's kind of keeping you busy at the time being? Yeah, you know, there's, you know, uh, a lot of projects are doing sort of like remote interviews. Um, so, you know, hiring a local team there to sort of set everything up for you. And then you can just sort of, um, you know, do what we're doing right now and um, ha- and sort of, you know, ha- wire the director in so that they can be the one to still conduct the interview. Um, and then there are other, you know, creative solutions. Um you know, filmmaking is all about creative solutions. So, you know, thinking of other ways to maybe tell the story. So, you know, maybe getting your subject to giving them, you know, letting them record on their phone or something like that so that you get, maybe it's not what you thought you were going to get, but it's still a version of it. And that's, you know, essentially what documentary filmmaking is because you can't script real life. So usually what you, what you and your team think you're going to film doesn't necessarily always happen. Um, and you kind of just have to roll the punches and, uh, you know, trust in the process because you'll still, you'll still get something that's, you know, that's gold. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, documentary making, you can't script real life. Well, you can't script real life uh, at all when it comes to sports either. That's why we all love it. It is like what dreams are made of. I know you're a big-time sports fan, but more importantly, you're a big-time basketball fan and a big-time Vancouver Grizzly fan. Uh, 25 years ago, the team shows up in Vancouver. 
where were you? What, what, what was your mindset? How, how big of a fan were you before uh, the announcement being made that the Grizzlies were coming to town? So I was, I think I was around like six years old when the Grizzlies came to town. I have an older brother and I've always tried to emulate him. And so when he, you know, um, when he was into baseball, I had a baseball phase. When he was into like soccer, I was into soccer. And then obviously in the 90s, um, MJ was sort of like the craze and he fell into that. And I immediately um, just fell in love with the game. But not only that, I was... I found that I was naturally good at it. In mm -hmm. fact, one of my goals for quarantine is to transfer like a bunch of <clears throat> like VHS tapes and, and, and eight millimeter tapes. And I'm, I found footage and it's crazy because I thought I only started playing basketball when I was like six, when the Grizzlies came to town. But there's footage of me when I was four because my brother got, he got like a, uh, a basketball net put up in our backyard, but right. obviously it was too, I was too small to use it. So I remember, I think it was like consumer pro or it was like this kind of like a Costco, I think. And I wanted this like MJ, like little tykes, um, like plastic basketball hoop. And so that was placed inside. And it's so funny because so you can see the big court outside of the house. And then, you know, right beside inside is my plastic net. <laughs> and I'm four and I'm shooting and I actually have like quite good form. So it was just something that came naturally to me. And so I was like, oh, crazy. Like I didn't realize that I was, I was even playing. I, I wanted a basketball before the Grizzlies came to town. Right. So I, I think it was, again, just like the Grizzlies really just solidified my love for the games. I, I do remember as a kid being so excited um, that, that, yeah, I could like, okay, after dinner, like we're going to watch a game and just being so excited. And um, that, that like that joy, I can't, like, I can't even describe it. That is one of the best childhood memories that I have. Um, and it's something that I, you know, I, I wish this younger generation coming up, you know, could have. Um, yeah. And that's why, you know, I would, you know, as much as I love the NBA and basketball, and I, you know, I, I've said this a lot, um, you know, I, as much as I want a team back, yes, that'd be awesome. But I really, I really want that for the, the you know, that generation, that younger generation, because it was so magical. Um, and as a kid, you know, I, I attribute a lot of my, you know, the way that I think about the world to, growing up and, and having the NBA in my backyard. Cause as a you know, six year old girl, I was like, I can do that. Like I'm going to be the first girl to play in the NBA. And right. it wasn't like this. I truly believed that it was possible. Cause it was like, you know, at that time I was better than like, you know, most of the guys in my class. So it was like, yeah, like, why can't I, why can't I play? Like, why can't I do that? And, you know, as a filmmaker, especially as a filmmaker, Filipina filmmaker, uh, female filmmaker in you know the sports genre there's very few you know there there are women who are who are in this industry and I who I admire and respect so much but at the same time there's very few of us mm -hmm. um, and so you know that same mentality that I had when I was a kid I have as a filmmaker it's like why can't I be in this room um, and that was such I feel like that was such a powerful thing to experience as a kid um, and I'm very grateful for that you know to yeah to been to have gone to so many games and to see those superstars in my own backyard. Like, you know, we're, you know, it's Vancouver. We had MJ here, Kobe, Shaq, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, like Alan Iverson. Like, it's crazy when I think about it. Um, so yeah, I, I, the Grizzlies came when I was six, but I, I was playing basketball when I was four, but again, they, they just solidified my love for the, for the team and, or for, sorry, for the game and, uh, and, and made me really want to be the first girl to play in the NBA.
That's insane. I, I think about while you were talking, I was thinking about my myself and, and being able to, to cover the game now uh, as, as a job. And I don't know, like you, I, I grew up around the same time and, and I remember there being, you know, life without an NBA team in Canada. Um, I, and I was more of a hockey fan at the time just because that was so accessible to me. Uh, and also a baseball fan, same thing. I, I grew up in Montreal and, and moved to Toronto uh, at, at halfway through and growing up in Montreal, I was a Montreal Canadian fan. Cause that's, that's all that was there. That was always that's accessible to me. And, uh, the Expos were a big deal and, and that was all that was accessible to me. And then all of a sudden we have two NBA teams in our country and we're getting games regularly on TV, which wasn't the case prior to that. And I loved Michael Jordan on space jam, obviously changed my life and all these other things in, included in that. Uh, and then now I'm sitting here being able to cover the game for a living. And I don't know, how much I would have pursued that had the NBA maybe not shown up in our country. So that's interesting perspective to hear that uh, you're kind of taking that same mentality from sports now onto filmmaking and, and essentially trailblazing for a, a lot of, you know, females that probably now look up to you and uh, trying to do the same thing. Um, in terms of the Grizzlies per se, what was, what was one of your first memories that, that really stuck out? I, I know in, you were able to go to a, a ton of games, but what really stuck out as the number one thing that maybe sparked the match? That you're like, all right, I'm a super fan. Um, okay, so there's, I mean, my, one of my favorite memories was when Charles Barkley was in town. He's still playing. He was playing for the Houston Rockets uh, at the time, so he was already traded uh, right. from Phoenix. Um, and I just remember we got tickets like above the away team, like, you know, the tunnel. Right. And, and I was just, I had never seen someone like an NBA star that close. And I remember just being like, this is so crazy. Like he was, and I just, that, that game specifically is one that I, uh, that I, I that still gives me goosebumps today. Um, other memories, you know, <laughs> the thing is about the Grizzlies, which is funny is that because I was such a, I was so young, I didn't know that we were so bad. Because <laughs> like I, you know, one of the, my fondest memories was Super Grizz, who is like our mascot. And he had like, you know, the bazooka and he would shoot like t-shirts and whatnot. And he, and he had like a really big, big slingshot. Mm -hmm. And if you ask kid, like everyone will say who grew up in Vancouver, when you bring up the Grizzlies, like Super Grizz is one of the main things that, you know, that they talk about. Um, the entertainment level at games was so high. I think it was, you know, in part to sort of um, to make up for the fact that we weren't, you know, you know, the best team on the court. Right. Um, but it was interesting because, yeah, I didn't know that we were, you know, the worst team for many years until, you know, I was a lot older and was researching for Finding Big Country. And I was like, oh, wow, like we were that bad. I had no idea. I just remember <laughs> having so much fun. And it's what's also interesting is that after you know we did a ton of screenings in theaters which was so much fun but it was so interesting because I would have a lot of people come up to me who were I would say maybe just in that next sort of age bracket and they were like oh man like how like why would you make this film like it was so painful. like the, <laughs> the games were so painful and I was like you know I I don't remember any of that so maybe if if I had been in my late teens maybe I would have had a different experience. But as a kid, it was just, again, like the word I'll use is to describe it is just, it was just magical. Um, so yeah, Charles Barkley. And I think what people don't remember is that the Grizzlies were, it, they were close games. Like we didn't get blown out like right. all, 
like all the time. Maybe there were a few blowouts here and there, but for the most part, we were in the game and it was just the last like two or three minutes where we just, you know, the other team, their experience really showed. Um, and then they're like, you know, their one or two star players would just take over the game. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Um, the games were exciting and they were fun to watch. It, you, me like you, I was a little too young to really truly have perspective on what the impact of those teams had at the time when they came. Uh, and I understand now completely a lot later on in life and, and also being able to go back and watch a lot of those games and uh, doing a lot of the research that you know you have to do. It, when you were researching for the film itself, did you get a sense of what the buzz was like in a city um, for the game of basketball, because we didn't have basketball in Canada and it wasn't really on, you know, most people's radar uh, per se outside of, you know, you would hear every now and then that everyone was a fan of Michael Jordan because he was kind of breaking through as a global superstar. But I don't know that there was many people running around saying, Hey, I'm a fan of the Lakers or I'm a fan of the Celtics unless, you know, they, they came from that or were introduced to the game at a very early age. It, was there basketball played in Canada? Absolutely. And, you know, there was hotbeds across the nation, especially at the high school level and the university level as well, CIS at the time. But I don't know that people were really kind of connected to the NBA the way they got connected until the NBA showed up. So did you feel like that, that kind of, you know, obviously it took it to another level. Was there a sense that, uh, you know, that more people were doing water cooler talk around the NBA when the Grizzlies showed up in Vancouver? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I've been able to interview uh, a few people who've really given me the insider's perspective. There was, there was really no outcry for the NBA in Vancouver in the, in the 90s. And in fact, Arthur Griffiths, who was the original owner, mm -hmm. um, he sort of bat, like piggybacked on hearing that Toronto was going to be placing a bid um, for an NBA team. And so, um, and so it was such a mad scramble to get everything together for that. But there was, there was no, it was sort of just like one day in the newspaper. It was like, oh, what? Vancouver's like bidding for an NBA team. And, you know, a lot of people had no idea, you know, like, as you said, there, there were definitely people who were playing basketball, but, you know, did they understand the nuances of the game? Did they understand the rules? No, no. I, you know, for the, I would say a lot of people didn't. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when the Grizzlies, and I don't know, I'm sure maybe they did this in Toronto too, but I know for a fact in, in Vancouver, they had like a glossary of terms that like a basketball A to Z <laughs> book that they handed out to like super fans or sorry, at, to people who attended the first few games just so that, you know, people could follow along. Um, and I've, you know, I've heard stories of people cheering at the wrong places during the first few games um, when like you weren't supposed to cheer. Right. But, you know, obviously uh, Vancouver fell in love with the game. And I think, um, Vancouver fans get a bad rep, a bad rep for, you know, people think that, you know, it, it was because of fan support that the Grizzlies didn't do well. And that's just, you know, that's completely false. There were so many um, amazing uh, diehard fans. And in fact, um, what people say is, you know, our, I, I, same thing with Toronto, like, because I know that Toronto Raptors, you know, you guys weren't as great as you, you became. Mm -hmm. um, and so the fans, that came to games and that cheered both teams on, you know, they weren't, they weren't coming to see like a winning team win every night. They were coming and supporting a team that was struggling, um, but that they loved regardless. And so, you know, I think our Canadian fans are, are really something special.
Yeah, and it's uh, evident the last couple of years uh, with the way that uh, we've seen the support for the Toronto Raptors across the nation. I think people are really trying to starting to understand that uh, you know it, it, basketball isn't just a footnote now in Canadian sports landscape. Like it is uh, some people's primary sport. Where like you and I grew up, we liked a little bit of basketball, a little bit of you know baseball, other sports. But uh, now growing up in Canada, you have the option to be a primarily a basketball fan and, and, and be that, you know, throughout. It's, it's great to have that option. Um, let's, get, let's get to the film. Farming Big Country. Uh, you come up. What, when did you come up with the concept of the film? Because I, I understand maybe you wanted to do something around the Grizzlies and your fandom. But why did it end up being about finding a guy that was really the face of the franchise at the time that the Grizzlies were there? So I, I went to film school after high school and in, in film school, I was like, oh man, like I want to, in my career, I want to tell the story of the Vancouver Grizzlies. Um, at the time I, you know, I think 30 for 30 was just coming out and I was so obsessed with 30 for 30 and I was like, oh man, like I really want to, I really want to tell the story. And, you know, um, and so I, uh, after I graduated, I started doing research and because I, yeah, you're right. I didn't know what, like, what's my angle? Like, how am I, how am I going to tell this story? And um, that's when I started to, to read like every article about the Grizzlies. And so many of them ended with the only player that we haven't been able to get in touch with is Bryant Big Country Reeves. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And so the more that I dug, the more I was like, yeah, he's like, you know, no one, at least in North America, ha- like we've not heard from him since he left, uh, left the Grizzlies. And I was just like, this is so funny because he was, you know, he was my favorite player. He was a face of the franchise. He's kind of like, he's missing. I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see. Um, and he, you know, he was kind of the scapegoat, like, you know, prior to finding Big Country, if you brought up Big Country's name in Vancouver, everyone was just like, you know, talking, you know, kind of, you know, putting him down. Like, why, why did we, why did we draft him? And he, he's the reason why the Grizzlies left. And it was such a waste of a, you know, a, a, um, a pick and et cetera, et cetera. But then the more that I researched, I was like, wow, he has an incredible story mm-hmm. that, you know, when you think about it, he's from this super tiny um, town, Gans, Oklahoma, you know, population 300. The fact that he made it to the NBA is crazy. Um, and then obviously, and I only found this out when I met him is that he's just the nicest guy (laughs) ever. And he's like still, and during my pre-interviews, when I was still trying to track him down, everyone was, you know, everyone spoke so highly of him and everyone was like, you know, he's, he hasn't changed one bit. The NBA, you know, if you were to meet him today, he'd never tell you that he was an NBA player. You'd never know, you know, things like that. And he really, um, he really was everything that everyone said that he was. Um, and so, yeah, so I, in my research, I was like, wow, like, you know, you can't really, you can't write these things. Like, you know, little girl dreams to be the first girl to play in the NBA, gets her dreams crushed, becomes a filmmaker with the, you know, with the goal of telling the story of the Grizzlies and finding Bryant Reeves, who was our, you know, our franchise player, um, who became the scapegoat and who's now no one has seen. <laughs> so, um, but I will say that I didn't make this film with the intention of me of starring, like being included in the film. It was just something that I had in my back pocket if I needed it when I was, cause I was pitching this film for about a year or so. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of funders were like, you know, we don't, no one cares about the Grizzlies. Grizzlies who, like who are the Grizzlies? And 
I think um, when I started to say that I had this like extra layer of, you know, well, what about my story? And, and you know, um, and then just, you know, explaining the kind of the archival that I had, you know, I've game, you know, high school footage, I have audio journals of, you know, when I got cut. And thankfully, I had a, a really supportive producer, Michael Grand, who um, really loved, like really wanted me to be in the film. Because I remember even, you know, a few days before our Oklahoma shoot, I was doubting it. I was like, you know what, maybe it should just be big country and I don't need to be in it. And he was like, no, I, you know, it's going to be so much better seeing the two of you interact with each other on screen. And I'd rather see that um, than, you know, just big country by himself. So um, that was, that was kind of what we ended up doing. And, you know, I think it does, you know, big country, if finding big country, um, is a film about the country, but it's also a film about fandom, which I think a lot of people can relate to. And that's maybe why, you know, a lot of, you know, it it's, has done so well. Um, is, you know, even if you didn't, don't like the Grizzlies or big country or, you know, a basketball, I think everyone can relate to having someone that they admire as a kid. I, I, I will say this, but don't take offense to this, that you've set people up to have their dreams shattered because you were a, a kid that lived the dream that loved the Grizzlies as much as you did. And like you said, it's kind of a dream come true to meet the, your favorite player from your childhood and him live up to the expectations of being a great person on top of that, where that's not the case for, uh, for a, lot of, uh, a lot of people. People don't A, get to meet the people, and then B, when they meet them, they're not always going to be uh, you know, as great as you have them in your mind being. Uh, that came across extremely well in the film. You did an incredible job there at, uh, at really telling the story that it, I mean, leading up to it, everyone's like, hey, he's a humble guy. But just seeing him, his presence and the way that you two were able to interact. And I know you said you spent a couple of days there, but it really felt like he genuinely just was a down to earth human being that anyone could go out and have a beer with. And uh, what was what was that like? The first initial meeting, I know leading up to it, you probably were nervous. You said you didn't even want to be on camera at first. But what was that like in your head kind of meeting the guy and He's huge, first of all, uh, the, the, the intimidation of meeting a star. But what was that like for you? It was, I can't even, I can't even, just, yeah, it was, um, I was freaking out inside. Um, and then having to like, oh my God, like, you know, play cool. Cause like there's cameras pointing at me and, you know, don't <laughs> want to, you know, embarrass myself in front of the country. But he, you know, he's just so, was just so kind. And you're right. Like, you know, I was very lucky. Um, because, you know, the, we put all these players on, on pedestals and, you know, you know, and they don't, I understand that they don't ask to, you know, to be put on these pedestals, but we do, especially when we're, you know, four five or six years old. Um, but he was yet just super down to earth. And, you know, there is, for example, like for his interview, um, and we did his interview, uh, across two days. And like, I will also say I was very spoiled for my first, you know, I would say like, like, you know, NBA star to be interviewed or a famous player to be interviewed, to have been given that type of access and that right. time and like not, you know, because um, Bryant really, truly did, you know, for example, for his interview, we did it across, we, we did it. To, across two days each day he sat in a super uncomfortable wooden chair for me and I think I interviewed him for either two or three hours per day like 
it was wow. like no one, no one will give me that time of day again. I I totally like I know that for a fact, you know, and I rightly so. I'm not saying that I deserve that time anyways, but just Bryant was just so like whatever I needed, he was so accommodating. And so for his interview, for example, uh, we we played basketball, and then I was like, you know what? Do you want to just like freshen up, and then can we do your interview? And he'd be like, okay, well, what do you want me to wear? Like what color, what color shirt? And he brought me like options, and I was like, well, no, no, no. Like this is this is your interview. Like what color do you want to wear? And he's like, no, this is your film. Like tell me what you want. <laughs> and wow, so there, awesome. there was like a lot of this back and forth, you know, and and pretty much, like we the first day when we were at his place, I kind of laid the kind of the, the schedule that we were thinking of, like, you know, can you take me ranching? And he'd be like, sure. And I was like, can we play basketball? And I don't think he realized that I wanted to play one-on-one. Like even like in the film when I'm like, can we play one-on-one? He's like, what? Like, really? Like, are you serious? <laughs> um, and so again, he was just so accommodating and, uh, and just, we, we ended up having a lot of fun and he, he's, he's the type of, like he was ragging on my producer, Michael Grand the whole time. Like, in a, you know, in that, in, you know, when you're teammates and you just like joke around, right. he was ragging on him so much and teasing him so much throughout the shoot that my, my cinematographer, whose name is also Mike, um, we started like, like uh, chiming in and like, so the, the three of us are ragging on our, my producer. So anyways, it was, he was just such a, uh, a, such a great guy. So fun to be around, um, really easy going. Um, and yeah, and I, you know, so much, uh, so much gratitude uh, towards the Bryant family. Um, April, his wife was so awesome. Um, who, you know, invited the three of us onto like into their home. That's awesome. I, I encourage everyone listening right now to go and uh, find a way to see Finding Big Country. FindingBigCountry.com, I believe, is the website to to find out where you can get in your area. I'm in the States, so I saw it on Amazon Prime. If you have seen it, go on Amazon Prime. Watch it there. Uh, if you've seen it, it's worth watching again. Knock yourself out. Do it again. You you definitely have more than enough time to spend sitting in. It's worth the, uh, I believe it's about an hour. So it's worth the hour uh, that it is. You have more projects on the way. That we uh, that we can definitely talk about. Um, so I, I saw the the We the West. I, I think that's worth watching on YouTube. Um, that is uh, your your kind of it, it kind of fell out of this film that you did with Finding Big Country. You you were able to kind of show it to the world and realize that hey, I'm not the only Grizzlies fan around. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. After Finding Big Country, I had people, so many people, come up to me saying. And, and, you know, some with tears in their eyes saying, I thought I was the only one who was still heartbroken about the Grizzlies. So We the West is about just four other super fans that I met, um, you know, after after Finding the Country premiered and it tells the story of their fandom and why they love the team. And, you know, I think there's a generation of, of... Canadian kids who grew up watching the Grizzlies who, yeah, who still, you know, um, who still dream for a team to come back and who are still heartbroken that the Grizzlies left in the first place. Um, so that's We the West. And I am working on one more Grizzlies film. And I s- promise this is the last Grizzlies related film that I will make. <laughs> um, but uh, it's called The Grizzly Truth. And it's a, a Crave original. We're making it with Bell Media and Uninterrupted, which I'm very excited about. And it's to tell, and this is sort of what I've always wanted to do, to tell the the, the full story of the Grizzlies from beginning to end. So how did Vancouver end up with a team and, and why on earth did they leave and trying to get to the bottom of it? So that's what we're working on right now. Um, but of course, again, because of COVID, we've just had to hit pause 
um, and will will be in production in the new year. I'm excited for that one. I, I really am. I wanted to ask you a date, but I know you don't have one as yet. But uh, as soon as you do, please definitely let us know. And uh, and you're well more than invited to come back on and, and talk about that when that does happen. Because I think not just Grizzly fans, but I think the nation uh, wants to know more about exactly what happened in Vancouver. Because there's a lot of fans now, new fans, that A, weren't around when the Grizzlies were, were in town. Uh, and then B where might like myself very young couldn't understand why they left and there's a lot of misinformation out there about the reason why they left i've always heard and you know coming up and now i know that that is not true that fans didn't show up to the arena so they just weren't making it and now i, I kind of understand that wasn't really the case so i'm so excited to uh to get an opportunity to actually find out the truth about what happened with the team last question i have for you before we get out of here uh 2019 was a big year for Canadian basketball. The Toronto Raptors win the NBA championship. And uh, after, afterwards, I couldn't help but think about what that would be like if the Raptors had won and, you know, the, on the other side of the country in Vancouver, there was a team still playing basketball uh, that now understood that, hey, we can also go out there and get the brass ring. Sometimes you have to see it before you do it. And with, with the Raptors winning, it, it kind of engulfed the entire country. Like I said, there were East, West, didn't matter where you were. I think we were all Canadian and we were all Raptor fans at that point in time. But it also sparked a lot of feelings, I guess, for the West Coast and, and mainly Grizzlies fans on, on whether or not the team could come back or what, what would happen. And is this still a market that is in play for the NBA eventually? And Adam Silver had a, an opportunity to talk on it and, and the, the NBA commissioner saying that, he kind of regrets not or regrets the way that the team left Vancouver and, and the importance of having potentially two teams in Canada and the growth of the market now showing that it could be done. Um, what, what was your thoughts? And, and, and you not only yours, but I guess the, the city and also former Vancouver Grizzly fans that uh, when the Raptors did win the championship, how did you all feel? Um, it was, it was definitely bittersweet. You know, I was uh, like you said, Everyone was cheering for the Raptors. Um, I was cheering for the Raptors in my We the North shirt, but I was draped in my Grizzlies flag <laughs> around me. <laughs> Still, first and foremost, a Grizzlies fan. Um, but it was huge. It was so crazy. Like, I, I, you know, just the fact that it took, um, was it 20 years? No, wait, 95. Yeah, 24 20, seasons. 20, this 20, is the 25th. Yeah. It's 25 years, but 24 seasons. This okay. is the 25th season, 26 years. Got you. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So, like, just. Just, yeah, um, just like it was, you know, it was so crazy. It was just so mind blowing that, yeah, you know, we finally did it, you know, even if it wasn't a Vancouver team, you know, it was still, it's, you know, still Canadian team and it was still a huge win for like Canada and, and Canadian basketball. Um, but obviously there was a part of, I think a lot of Vancouver Grizzlies fans that were like, you know, could that have been us if we had stuck it out? Um, and then, you know, just, I, but, you know, regardless, I think it was a great conversation starter. I think it proved to hopefully the NBA that, look, there's a huge market here in Canada. There's, you know, you know, why, you know, the LA has two teams, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Canada, you know, we should have more than one team in Canada, I think. Um, and I know that it's a, will be a process and, you know, a lot of people argue that teams like Seattle deserve a team first, which I a hundred percent agree with um, for sure. Seattle deserve, deserves a team before Vancouver, but I still think that there is an opportunity um, in Vancouver for a, a team. And I think that it's possible 
obviously not gonna happen overnight, but I think, and I'm hoping, you know, in the next maybe decade or so, fingers crossed, and maybe in the next 25 years or after that, um, when we get a team in the next 25 years, I don't want to think about how old I'll be, but you know, <laughs> Vancouver maybe can you know be the second team or not this yeah second team to to Canadian team to win a, a championship. I uh, I hope so. Uh, I also hope that uh, the door is not closed to just NBA franchises. I really hope the G League uh, you know opens their eyes to potentially end up there. Uh, I hope the WNBA opens their eyes to potentially end up there as well. That would be amazing. Yeah, it, it really I'd be would. so for yeah either either one of those would be so cool. WNBA would be amazing. I would love that. It really would. Uh, I also know that shout out to the Fraser Valley uh, Bandits in the uh, in the yeah. CBL. They are uh, up and coming and uh, just got to the, to the finals this year in the CBL. So hopefully that uh, sparks a match that continues to grow. Kat, I really, really appreciate you spending the time here with us. Again, uh, the, 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 the film that is uh, you're, you're currently trying to get to us is called what again? So people could look out for it. Sure. Yeah, it's called The Grizzly Truth. So uh, keep a, yeah, you know, keep a watch for that. And hopefully we'll have it. Uh, in the next year or so when, again, when things get better. But, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show, Carlin. I appreciate you spending the time. Kat Jamie, award-winning filmmaker and director. Of course, don't waste any more time. Findingbigcountry.com. Find out how you can watch the film and, uh, and enjoy it. It is, it is uh, worth the watch, even if you've watched it already. You can watch it a second time. It is definitely worth that. Uh, that's all we have for you this week on the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. Again, the 25th anniversary of both the Raptors and the Grizzlies this week. That's amazing. It makes me feel old. But I hope you guys enjoy the week-long celebration that we should have in this country for the great game that a Canadian, don't forget that, created. For uh, Cat Jamie, I'm Carlin Gay. We will see you next time right here on the Raptors Pod Table Podcast.